こんにちは、レイバックラッシュです。僕はマイクロです。僕はゲイブです。今日は、酒をなしますしょ。楽しみにします。はい。はい。どうぞよろしくお願いします。Alright, now that we've gotten that out of the way. Welcome back to レイバックラッシュ everyone. Yeah,、uh, I'm Michael. I'm Gabe. And today we are talking about sake, which we are looking forward to talking to, as we just said in Japanese, which we can do also as an apology for、yeah. butchering. My, my horrific, uh, butchering of the pronunciation of Honjozo from the last episode when I was editing, I realized I was saying Honjozo the entire time. Uh, that is not how it's pronounced in Japanese. O sounds in Japanese are O. So it's Honjozo. Not Hanjozo. Yeah. So,、uh, apologies. So if you go into a sake shop, nobody's going to call you on it, but because we both have some understanding of the Japanese language, we,、uh, we definitely noticed our yeah, own it, foibles. A little, a little painful to listen to over、yeah. and over again. <laughs> and also for our Japanese listeners, should we get any of those? We also apologize for the beginning of this episode. <laughs> <laughs> we tried. We, we tried. We, we rehearsed it more times than I will ever say. Oh gosh. Yes. Ton of fun. We both love the Japanese language and we love getting into the、uh, specifics of certain cultural things, including sake, which is what we're talking about again today. And we're looking forward to it. Yeah. And just a couple of things before we get into the actual episode from last episode, aside from my、uh, butchering of the Japanese language. Jyoto is not sponsoring us or giving us any kind of money to talk about their products. I kind of realized in talking about them, it sounded like it could possibly be an ad. It's not just FYI. We're not,、uh, we're not not disclosing any sponsorships because we don't have any of those. Also, from the last episode. So, for Tokebetsu, if you remember, that was that special sake. I was actually able to find out a little bit more about some of the legal definitions around it. So, to give you guys maybe a little bit more detail from last episode, because I know we were very vague about it, because it is kind of a vague term. Legally, it is required to be 60% or less of a semi buai, which is again that rice polish. It is often compared to Jumai Daiginjo. It does typically run at higher temperatures during its production, so it will be a little bit richer and fuller body and style than your Daiginjos are typically going to be. And it also must be a Junmai. It cannot be a Honjozo, so it does、mm. not have that spirit added. Also, from last episode, something I discovered again、uh, in researching the production techniques for this episode Junmai sakes. And I actually ran across this because the sake that we have in front of us is above 70%. So if you remember, I said 70% is the minimum requirement. Junmais、uh, don't have, technically speaking, a minimum polish. They can be above 70%. Okay. However, most of them will be 70% or below. It's just,、um, the, the popular style. But just know, legally speaking, if you see a higher semi-buai on the bottle, that it, that is allowed. With all of that out of the way, we wanted to go into this episode talking about the brewing process. So this is again something that I don't have a particular wealth of knowledge about.、Mm -hmm. I did do some quick study. I was checking out some of the facilities that are used. I generated more questions in myself than I did answers. <laughs> so hopefully while we're getting some information out of Gabe, I'll be able to get some of my curiosities answered as well. 
do you now understand why I was saying it's a very complicated process? Yeah, no, and the amount of control that's set over each one of these steps is it's so specific yeah. and it ends up having these tangible effects on the product that's generated mm -hmm. it is a wonderful world to explore but my god is it complex yes so uh as far as sake itself we have just some key ingredients here we know that we're using rice water yeast and koji now you're saying that all of these have to be specifically controlled. So, mm -hmm. so what about these sort of, uh, what would you say is kind of the key element here? I guess, technically speaking, whatever variety of rice you're using would probably be the most defining characteristic. Mm -hmm. But water is a very close second in sake production. Water makes up up to 80% of the volume of any given sake. It needs to be high quality water. It, if you're familiar with craft brew beer yeah, production, saying, this sounds a lot like beer. Yes, beer is also highly dependent on the quality of the water that is used. You know, if you're like me and you're a water snob, you know not all water is created equal, and certain waters are better than others. So when you get into sake production, you'll have producers that might be sourcing from like a particular spring or they're getting a very specific um, like type of mineral water or something from some you know distributor. They're very, very picky about the water. So mineral the water, content is something that you might actually want. Yeah, well, because you know, it's going to be giving some additional flavor, as hopefully most of you know. Water with mineral content in it tends to be uh, more flavorful. So before we get into anything more, I, I went ahead and mentioned it already, the koji. What are some of the key terms that we're going to need in order to kind of understand this brewing, fermenting process? So you have your toji, who is your head brewer at a facility. Mm -hmm. So that's the person that's going to be overseeing this entire process. You have, as we mentioned, the koji or the koji kin. So this is the fermentation mold. It is Aspergillus oryzae. Hopefully I am pronouncing that correctly. We'll get into this later, but this is mold that is sprinkled on the rice after it's steamed. Oryzae. Oryzae. Yeah. It can also, the, the term koji can also refer to the rice once it has been infected with this mold. Okay, so it's not only the name of the mold itself, it's also the product of the mold going through that fermentation yeah. process. Yeah, at least in English, you'll probably see koji rice just to have that differentiation there, but it can refer to that rice. We also have uh, shikomi, which are large fermentation tanks. I was trying to find this, and I'm not completely sure just because of the language barrier of you know, articles I was reading and whatnot. Things get lost in translation sometimes. I don't know if this refers exclusively to the traditional vessels that would have been like the large wooden ones. Yeah. Or if it also refers to the modern like stainless steel. I guess uh, is, is this is this a verbally based noun? Is it just the thing that's used for the purpose or? It, it, that's my question. So mm. I, I don't know for sure. But uh, shikomi is the fermentation tank that you are going to be making your moto and or subo in. So we'll be getting to that as well. Okay, so we have some of these key terms now. We discussed it a lot in the last episode that the first step that's always going to take place is you're going to have your rice and you're going to decide how much you want to get rid of in the polishing process. Yes. What really allows this particular step to, to give 
its contribution to the flavor. So what you are really wanting to get at, and it's just like how it's the same reason why we mill um, grains for whiskey and beer production. Mm -hmm. You want to get to what is inside of the kernel. So inside of rice, we call rice a starch in food, right? Mm -hmm. And there's a literal starch packet at the center of grains of rice. And if you remember from the last episode, the kinds of rice that are used in sake production are typically a little bit bigger. The grains themselves are a little bit bigger. So that starch packet is larger as well. That's part of why you want to be using this kind of rice because it's providing more starch and therefore more flavor for you to extract from that rice. You do need to have this process be very gentle. Really? If it's not gentle and it's producing heat primarily Mm. heat will affect the water absorption we'll be getting to that in a couple of steps water absorption is very key if you have heat during the milling process it can make the rice absorb less water overall and you don't want that really i would have imagined that it would have done the opposite um that's kind of what i thought too i i would need to look into the chemistry of it but from what i did read it actually can end up hardening the outside of the kernel a little bit and that that would affect the permeability of the grain yeah because if it's because you're also kind of cooking it yeah a little bit as well if it's being heated up before moisture is introduced Mm -hmm. then at that point what's going on is it's basically like baking out the little bit of moisture that it has and polishing the outside as to prevent Mm -hmm. absorption okay that makes sense you can also if this process is too vigorous you can crack the husk of the um not the grape the rice grain itself we're also a wine podcast. Yes. <laughs> Go listen to all of our beautiful wine episodes. They're they're great, we promise. Um, so, yeah, you can crack your husks, uh, and that is a problem because that will also affect the water absorption rate, and it will affect how the koji mold is allowed to infect the rice grain later on down the road. So you really don't want that. You want these grains intact as much as possible. I see. So after we've gotten it down to whatever percentage that we're we're headed for, so uh, you know whether it's seventy or it's sixty or it's fifty or as you said, it's increasingly even gotten to the point where they're doing thirty five percent of of the rice remaining. Yeah. So after you get it down to that, what would be the next step? How are you getting this? to the point where we can actually get it introduced to the koji. Mm-hmm. So this is where you're going to wash your rice. And the white powder that will be left on the rice grains themselves from the milling process is called nuka. Mm. This process is very important to the flavor quality of the rice itself and therefore the ensuing sake. If you are a chef or you you know a decent amount about cooking, you probably know some people wash their rice before cooking it because it it does affect both the starches that are going to get into the water from that process of cooking the rice and also the flavor of the rice itself will be slightly altered. So this process is very important. Each one of these steps I could probably do an entire episode on if I were to do enough research because it varies a lot from from toji to toji the okay. brewmaster so in each one would be making different decisions based on the profile mm-hmm. that they were yeah. looking for or maybe even the traditions that yeah. they've they've been brought up with so things like you know how long you're washing your rice the temperature of the water you're using like all of that comes into play and temperature comes into play in all of these steps so just keep that in mind after washing we'll get into soaking okay so we get the nuka away 
Mm-hmm. We're done with that. Yeah. And then we're we're going to be soaking this rice now. So you need a certain water content that is best for the particular strain of rice that you are using. Oh, so there's a variability between the strains. Yes. And again, the toji will be making the call. He or she should know based off of, um, hopefully, <laughs> what they got, what the proper water content for this particular kind of rice. The more that rice has been polished, the faster it will absorb water and the shorter the overall soaking time will be. Yeah. And so we talked about variability in production, right? Because more of that pure starch would be just simply exposed to the surface of exactly. the water. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. This can be as short as a literal minute, like on a on a stopwatch. Oh, no kidding. Yes. And it can go as long as soaking overnight. So, again, very wide. Huge variability there. Yes. And, again, as with all these steps, it comes down to the style of sake you're trying to make. And you, you have an end goal in mind and you're working toward that. Moving on from soaking, that will then be sent off. That soaked rice will be sent off to be steamed. Yeah. Now, those vats, I thought, were just the coolest thing ever mm-hmm. because yeah. a lot, at least a lot of the images that I saw was these giant wooden vats that they yeah. dump mm-hmm. this insane amount of rice into. So it looks like something that's coming out of a Ghibli film. Yeah. Which, of course, you know, I'm, I'm a huge fan of. Mm-hmm. Uh, the steaming itself, though, they're doing this for what purpose? So this is to essentially just make the rice permeable to the koji mold. Because mm. um, this surprised me quite a bit. I was thinking, oh, they're they're literally cooking this stuff mm-hmm. in order to in order to get it to be susceptible to the yeah. mold. And you also want to cooking your starches and stuff will make them easier to break down mm-hmm. as well. We know that from cooking. So you know, it kind of serves multiple functions, but it, primarily it makes it much easier for the koji mold to permeate the rice grain itself which is going to be our next step interesting things with steaming you mentioned the big vats Mm -hmm. uh, the big wooden vats those are the traditional vats that would have been used nowadays it depends on the producer a lot of this is mechanized a lot of producers also will use traditional methods at least for like their daiginjos in particular the way that these big vats work is there's a mesh at the bottom and then there's some tray or or pot or something of water underneath that and you light a fire underneath it and you're literally sending steam up through the vat to steam the rice Hmm. it's kind of like if you've ever seen those bamboo cooking um Mm -hmm. the ones that stack you you would know what i'm talking about if you see them people cook dumplings in them often um and like set it in a wok same thing uh bamboo steamers that's what they're called my goodness the same concept just scale it up to huge huge (laughs) proportions also for steaming after the steaming is done you're going to start separating your rice into just pure steamed rice and then the rice that is going to go off into our next step okay so and i i know that in the the step where they're separating the stuff it it was in these large trays at least that was what Mm -hmm. i was seeing where they they spread them out into very thin layers in order to cool yes so Making koji, and the process overall is called seikiku. So if you hear seikiku, that is the koji making process. So koji kun mold, or koji kin, 
<laughs> Koji Kun. <laughs> I was, I was so looking at that. I'm that'll, like, that'll be the next uh, senpai in the harem anime. Oh, um, dear, or dear. I don't know if I'm going to leave that in there or not. I don't think you are. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> oh, 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 dear. I feel like I just dared you. Oh, my goodness. Ko- Koji Kun. <laughs> Okay. Centering ourselves, Koji Keen. Koji Keen is the mold spores are sprinkled onto cooled steam rice. It needs to be cool for this process to happen. It is then stored in these warm and humid rooms for anywhere from 36 to 45 hours. Again, this varies by what you're making, how you're making it, what your end goal is. The Toji will be making these decisions. This is a very complicated process in that you mentioned the big trays that they sit Mm -hmm. the rice on to cool. You don't just set and forget it. You have to keep constant eyes on the rice grains themselves because you don't want mold infecting rice grains unevenly. So Mm -hmm. you have to separate them if they're clumping. Koji will be taken out of one tray and mixed with another tray to ensure a consistency amongst all your koji. You have to, again, be monitoring your humidity and your temperature. It does need to be warm and humid. So there's a so this, constant monitoring. For so this, this entire germination process is is being evaluated just to keep consistency mm-hmm. between your different types of rice. Because I'm yeah. guessing that if you have that uneven distribution, mm-hmm. that's going to have a huge effect once you actually start mm-hmm. turning it into a liquid. Yeah, and primarily you need this koji to be consistent so it'll be fermenting the rice the other portion of rice that you cooked evenly and whatnot you need to make sure it's all consistent and going to be producing a consistent flavor profile in the sake itself as well so that's koji making in a nutshell again it gets very complicated and very in-depth but that's kind of beyond the scope of what we're talking about so a a hyper monitored situation that Mm -hmm. we have would they ever have a reason to uniformly want it to be less or more uh fermented by the the mold so um no basically uh, this is kind of a hard question to answer so the portion of rice that is being used to cultivate the koji you want it to be completely infected okay so there's Uh, not a percentage of infection that you're headed for not that I'm aware of, um, maybe, but I did not come across that in what I researched. This is, and this goes into the next. It needs um, to be completely broken down. You need this to be because this is what you're basically going to use to start your fermentation. I see. So you need this to be just completely molded, and it'll kind of look like it's been dusted with powder almost when it's infected. Well, and that makes sense because the reason why we keep things inside of beer, especially when we, we've roasted them and, you know, we've, we've allowed them to germinate so that those starches are being broken down by the enzymes that are in the brew. Mm-hmm. We keep those other elements there because of the flavor that they add. Yeah. But in this case, because it's primarily starch, you really do need it to just be fully broken down. Let's actually let's move on to the next step because I feel like that will answer your question a little bit better yeah. as well, or, or at least give you a better understanding of it. Um, and you, the listener, if you have the same question. So next step is to make the moto or the subo. I don't really know what the distinction between these words and they both refer to this process and everything that I've read. So again, apologies to any native Japanese speakers that listen to this and think, oh, literally message us. Please do hiragana because we can't read kanji very well. <laughs> yeah. But- 
but correct us here if you know this. Yeah, send both. That would be actually super helpful. So this is the starter for the fermentation. So what you're doing is you are combining the koji rice, Mm -hmm. your steamed rice, or a a portion of your steamed rice. Okay, so there is a portion that isn't infected that you're going to be want to be you're going to want to use yes Uh, so remember after you steam you separate yeah so your rice that goes to koji production goes over here your steamed rice goes to i guess sit in a tank or something until you are ready for it to be added into the fermentation so the steamed rice the rice koji yeast and water are all added together and this will start to you know sourdough starter yeah, think of it like that, or maybe even like a mother from uh, kombucha making, if you're familiar with that. You want to get something that will start your fermentation, and this will do that. So that will then be used to make your moromi, which is the main mash and kind of the big fermentation process of sake. Moromi production is called a multi-parallel fermentation What does that mean? It means that saccharization, which is a sugar breakdown, Mm -hmm. and a fermentation where those sugars are being converted to alcohol. Sorry, when I say sugar breakdown, I mean the koji is breaking the starches in the rice into simple sugars that the yeast can then consume. In the same way that the enzymes would be breaking down the starches inside of the beer mash. Correct. Yes. So that's saccharization. And fermentation, so then the yeast converting that into alcohol immediately after it's available for them to consume, both occur simultaneously. So that means it's a multi-parallel fermentation. That's why, if you remember from the last episode, I said sake is kind of a very strange hybrid between brewing and fermentation. This is Mm -hmm. why. As this process is occurring, you're going to add your koji to more water and steamed rice in a shinkomi, and you're going to do this in... Three, I saw mostly three. I did see four in a couple of articles. Uh, three to four stages over four days, and you're kind of oh, wow. you're going to kind of roughly double your batch size each time you're adding the rest of that steamed rice and water into the mixture. It ferments over the next eighteen to thirty-two days. Temperatures and the other factors like humidity and you know, obviously you're keeping track of your alcohol content, your sugar content, whatnot, your yeast to make sure they're doing the fermentation. All of this is measured and then if needed, adjusted to achieve a very specific flavor profile that the toji wants. Most of this is now mechanized. Uh, as with wine production, sake production has become very modernized mm-hmm. in, in our current day. And at the end of this process, after your moromi is all wrapped up, if you're making a honjozo, this is where you add in that brewer's spirit. So that's the huge yes. portion of this. Yeah. If you were to describe this to me visually, you it's mostly mechanized at this point, like you said, but you have this large vat of water mm-hmm. that you're adding in rice at these different times, allowing for the saccharization to happen as well as the fermentation. So this is this is all happening at once over the course of these couple of days. Mm-hmm. As this this rice is slowly added. Now, is it being slowly added like 
say your your 90 minute IPA where it's just a continual thing or is it mostly like there are certain times that it's being dropped from my understanding that is largely the Toji's decision and mm. again I, I keep saying this for like everything but it depends on what you're making I see but these these are the types of decisions as far as the rate of introduction of the rice yeah. as well as the amounts that are being added at any given time those mm -hmm. would end up affecting yeah. how the profile ultimately turns out yep okay that makes a lot of sense so moving on from there we still have now just this huge vat of liquid and sediment and koji and rice mm -hmm. that's just in this pot how would we get that separated into something that resembles sake so like well, the steps would be very out of order for wine, but like wine, you press this big, soggy rice fermented ball that you have. This huge mass of marshy rice. Yeah, but it's the same reason you press wine or you press grape juice off of your grapes and your skins. You're just getting all the unfermented solids and sediment and lees separated from your sake itself so the sake itself is then going to be filtered because you know just a a mere pressing will still leave some stuff in in that liquid so i mean at this point you have the rice has soaked up tons and tons of this water mm -hmm. right this this starch so if you're pressing it, I'm guessing that it ends up making some sort of... They're trying to basically dry out that mash, right? Yeah, you do need to be gentle with it, um, as with wine, because, you know, you don't want to put compounds that you might not want in your sake that might produce off flavors or whatnot into it. But yeah, you are trying to get as much out of it as you can, obviously, and so you will be left with kind of a rice cake of sorts, hmm. I guess, if you can call it that. The machines that they use to do it now are very interesting. If you look it up, they look kind of like big accordions, almost. <laughs> um, that well, is very interesting, actually. I'm going to look that up Yeah, now. well, so, it, yeah, it, again, it's mechanized. They used to use bags that they would ring out for this traditionally. But then we move on to filtration. So filtration is typically going to be through a charcoal filter. And this is used to correct color and to also correct for off flavors that you might not want that are present or to round out the flavors. If you're familiar with um, a lot of bourbon producers will actually charcoal filter whiskeys to round out the edges mm. a little bit. Actually, it's it's common in a lot of, of yeah, spirits. Yeah, I know that spirits. vodka will do that. And in point yeah. of fact, anytime that I buy vodka, I'll typically drop it through a charcoal filter just because I, I want it smoother. Yes, exactly. So this helps round out the flavor profile. That's really it. I will. I do want to add on for Nigori sakes. This is the stage where, if you remember last time, I, I said sake technically has a filter step. This will be that step, even though Nigori sake is called unfiltered. It's because it's run through a very, very coarse filter, so it's not being run through a charcoal filter. Like, you know, your honjozos and ginjos mm -hmm. or, or whatnot are being put through. And sometimes rice solids from pressing will even be added back in to yeah. a nigori sake. Well, when you're talking about a charcoal filter, that's that's a different type of filtering than than most other 
things because exactly. it's a reaction that you're going for yeah. more so than it is anything else. So that that's your Nigori production step. If you're curious, it's just it, that's a very rough filter that will let through sediment and solids. So that way it can be present in the bottle, which is, again, desired and you are supposed to drink it that way. Then after it's filtered, it will be pasteurized. Yay for that. Yeah, yay for that. Yeah, we do have those uh, unpasteurized ones that we mentioned that need to mm -hmm. be kept refrigerated. But yeah, with the pasteurization process, you're allowing your sakes to have a longer lifespan than even wine or, or other forms of fermented beverages. Yeah. After it's pasteurized, it will go into storage slash aging. Basically, think of it like most modern wine. It gets put in a huge tank. It's left to rest for typically three to six months. What you're doing is essentially just allowing these flavors to marry with one another and kind of melt together. Just round things out. Round Make things it, out. Yeah. Then there's going to be another additional pasteurization immediately before bottling after this step for most sakes. It was very highly controlled, it sounds like. Yes. During your bottling process, so... The ending ABV of Moromi is usually around 20%. Mm. If you look at most sake bottles, they are nowhere near 20%. Yeah. So water is then added back in. It's like whiskey or most spirit yeah, productions where you, you, know, you have your cask strength whiskeys mm. that are no water added, but then you have your bottling strength ABVs, and that will you know, be from adding water back in to just dilute the alcohol content mainly and i would imagine that would also end up rounding out and smoothing out the flavor mm -hmm. yes even more so correct there is a genshu sake so if you see genshu on the bottle that's basically the equivalent of your cask strength whiskey where it's left at the original abv the water is not added back into that i'd be pretty interested to try that yeah i, I imagine it would probably be very similar to soju if you are familiar with soju if you've ever tried it um probably a lot more flavor than soju because soju tends to be fairly neutral but that finishes up our sake production wow. process. So all of these steps seem like they really need to be highly controlled in order to get this sort of profile mm -hmm. that any toji would be looking for at any particular time. Yeah, the more I was looking into this, the more I was thinking, man, this is like such a quintessentially Japanese practice. And <laughs> I, I mean that in a good way. Yeah. If you look into a lot of things of Japanese culture, there is this very... Very much an appreciation for quality and precision and purpose in a yeah. lot of what they make and produce, at least from the things that the Japanese traditionally produce, like sake, you know? It's Being to their highly history. involved in every single decision where mm -hmm. you're looking for the greatest amount of precision in the decisions that you're making in yeah. order to get a precise product. And I think this is also part of the reason why their whiskey is so good. Um, if you <sighs> if you have not tried Japanese whiskey, I really cannot recommend it enough. I know it carries a price tag. I recognize that. But it really is, at least if you can find a bar or something where you can just get a shot and just try it, do it. Which, shout out to uh, to the Jasper in Carytown. I actually just had some uh, Suntory whiskey oh, there nice. last night. Yeah, no, uh, it was actually interesting. I was there and a, a gentleman who was seated next to me uh, celebrating his friend's recent engagement accidentally broke a glass and <laughs> felt so embarrassed that he felt compelled to buy us all shots. Uh, and uh, he's like, he well, bought shots of Japanese whiskey? He he was insistent. So Is he, he looking for new friends? Yeah, no, well, no, it was, it was great because he was just like, if you've never tried Japanese whiskey, it's so good. And so 
obviously we had them in sipping glasses because yeah. you don't you don't shoot <sighs> Japanese whiskey. But I mean, you could, but I mean, that is not though. recommended. So yeah. He, yeah, and he just he put them out in front of us uh, along with some uh, Domenico rum, and I, I was just Ooh. like. Yeah, no, I was just like, wow, what a what a wonderful happenstance. This guy's response to embarrassment is to buy people <laughs> drinks. Again, um, is he looking for more friends? I think he is. <laughs> uh, we almost got invited to a party, and I was just like, I need to be up tomorrow, so I think <laughs> I'm good on that. Um, but it really is just this amazing product. We should do an episode on that, actually. I would love to do that. We should we should totally do an episode on on Japanese whiskey. Well, hey. It's something you guys can look forward to in the future. Japanese yeah. whiskey episode. Let's move back to sake. Yeah, for let's now. go back to this because because um, yeah, we could probably go on forever <laughs> about how much we geek out over yeah. Japanese production of various different artistry. So, what are we tasting? We are tasting another Joto product. If you remember from last time, uh, again hashtag not spawn, hashtag not add. Uh, I'm. A millennial. I speak in social media, apparently. Hashtag, we're okay if you want to sponsor us, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really, though. Yeah, we have here a Junmai, Johto Junmai. Yes, so this is their Johto brand of sake. However, and this is something I did not know that's really cool before I looked up the text sheet on this sake. This was made by Eiko Fuji. So this is the same producer who made the Bonryu from last You're time. You're kidding me. Yeah. No, well, no, I'm not kidding you. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm writing this down because, again, I'm actually being educated along with you guys in, <laughs> in this episode. So uh, uh, something I learned from that text sheet that I did not know from the other text sheet from last episode is they are a 13th generation producer under the uh, Kato family. Really? Because I was yeah. like looking at the bottle, it says that They've been doing things since 2005, but I guess that's that's a reflection on the actual company as opposed to I would the, assume that's the, the brewery yeah. themselves, or the toji, I should say. Yeah. So, uh, again, region is Yamagata for this. This is a Junmai. And this is where I started looking up into the legality of what you can define as a Junmai, because the Semai Buai on this is 75%, which is really interesting because... Uh, well, I wouldn't have guessed that. Well, we'll get into the tasting. I want to do the tasting notes after running through this text sheet yeah no let's uh, i definitely want to know exactly what it is that i'm tasting in this yeah so your nihon shudo is plus seven five so this Drier is side. this is very dry not the driest but it is this is certainly dry your rice is dewa no sato your yeast is going to be a local yamagata yeast they use a yabuda pressing method which is going to be that big accordion machine a light filtration, twice pasteurized, and again, the Eiko Fuji is the brewery. So, Michael, what do you get on this sake? Do you, well, I should probably start with, do you like the sake? I, I love this sake. Right off the bat, I'm getting a subtle persimmon as well as, um, I had to, I had to look it up. It was a very specific type of cherry, uh, rainier cherries. Okay. That was what I get off of the onset. There's definitely some florality to it, but I'm also getting some of those more cereal notes. They're rustic, but they're not overbearing, and they definitely are coming underneath that floral, mm -hmm. fruity aroma that I'm getting off of it. So this is a... We are also drinking this chilled, as per the recommendation of the producer. 
Remember from last episode, Junmais are typically the ones that are going to be served hot mm-hmm. because they're earthier. They can handle the heat. This sake, as Michael just said, there's an underpinning of your cereal notes. And when I say cereal, I didn't really say this last time, but really think literally like Rice Krispies, Corn Flakes, yeah. Bran Flakes, like that literal breakfast cereal, not sugar breakfast cereal, but like, you know, Bran yeah. kind of notes. Those are present, but this is much more about the fruit. Um, I would add in breakfast cereal with fruit on top. Yeah. It's like, what, what are exactly we going for? Here? Um, persimmon's actually really good. I, I would not have put that, but that, as soon as you said it, I was like, oh yeah, it clicked. It's there. Um, yeah. Also pear. Yeah. I do get pear. Particularly like Bosque pear. I mm-hmm. would say not quite your green pears, but your brown kind of more, um, subdued. Mm. refined pear aromas yeah that actually might be a little bit more more precise than the rainier cherries i still think that i'm getting it just because of the amount of acidity cherries for me are a little sweeter than this oh yeah no this is this is drier yeah for sure there's also some just again people call it melon for most sakes Mm -hmm. i would call melon for this yeah, I would uh, say I would something even... more along the lines of honeydew than than yes, uh huh. I would say like a, a very slight, very slight mango aroma, more kind of dried mango than fresh mango. You know, if you stick your nose into a bag of dried mango, there's kind of that dusty mango okay, aroma. Okay, I see, and I I think that that might be one of those like cross sectional aromas resulting from like those cereal notes mixing mm-hmm. with that melon yeah. note. Yeah, I think you're spot on with that though. Yeah, it's one of those things where it's like, as soon as it clicked in my head, I just couldn't really get it out. All these memories, the memories of opening up a bag of dried mangoes. And I I will say, it, it kind of seems silly to say that sake smells like rice, but it does kind of smell like jasmine rice. Uh, yeah. When you, you, you know if you cook jasmine rice, there is kind of this almost floral perfume that comes from it. Not, well, maybe floral isn't the right word, but jasmine rice has a smell. Yeah, and it can be pretty delicate actually Mm -hmm. and i i get that here like you said i don't really get floral here very much um it again it's a junmai so you're probably not looking for that anyway but really i mean i i can get something there but it would be the same type of floral that you would get from like like a blueberry blossom where it's Mm -hmm. like this is a very this is a very fruity scent that could also just be more of those fruity notes yeah yeah just that very general flower smell Mm -hmm. So going back to the Semibuai, 75%, this sake is a little atypical in a couple ways. So yeah. it's a Junmai that it's not super earth forward. It's not super cereal forward. It's more fruit forward than it is earth forward. The Semibuai would make me believe if I were to be buying this only with the text sheet in my hand, that this would be more earth driven. Yeah. Because that Semibuai is so high. But I don't know what sort of magic wizardry they did in the production facility i'm guessing a lot of it is probably focused on the rice that they used and well the water they used as well but i think primarily in my head i would need to talk to the toji to know for sure but i'm guessing they really kept an eye on the temperature Mm. of this temperature in pretty much any wine and spirits production is really going to drive the flavor profile of a lot of what you get out of your starting product during your fermentation so i'm going to guess temperatures during production is 
a very big reason this sake tastes the way it does. That's yeah. just an educated guess on my part. Well, or maybe not so educated, depending on how right or wrong I am. But that's what I would attribute a lot of it to. But mm-hmm. it, it is kind of atypical for a Jumai, but it's delicious. Like when you said that we are going to be, or when you said that this was semi-buai of 75%, I, I literally... You looked a little shocked. <laughs> no, really, because I've been smelling this for the better better part of this episode, and I'm just like, this is like super fruity, and this is, you know, this seems fairly delicate as far as flavor is concerned. Mm-hmm. So you're right in saying this is completely atypical Yeah, uh, from what I would have expected mm-hmm. in my not-at-all-educated opinion. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Again... I I have been very impressed with Johto's products. I wanted to bring you their Nigori because I mentioned bringing you a Nigori last episode. Mm-hmm. You but, did. Uh, I remember. But <laughs> Wegmans was sold out when I went. So I mean, that's actually kind of exciting. Yeah, that means people are buying it. So hopefully that means it gets back on the shelf soon. But that's the reason why I went with the June Mai instead. But I did want to bring a, another Johto because I know I like this one and the Nigori in particular. I have yet to dry their... Uh, Dai Ginjo and their Ginjo, because I don't think our Wegmans has them yet. At least Wegmans get on it. So this this is um, a really solid bottle of sake. It was around twenty dollars, mm. so not cheap, but not Crazy. necessarily unreasonable price point either. So yeah, if you especially run a- considering the ABV on these guys, I mean they're mm-hmm. they're they're going to have to be a little bit up there. It's in a green bottle with a big O on it. It's called the green one. It's kind of the unofficial name for it. So if you see a green bottle that says Joto with a big O on it, that's what we're drinking right now. And I highly recommend picking it up if you see it. We can probably post a picture of it. But yeah, this is this is delicious. I I am really impressed with this. And also just this whole process. It's so fascinating. I'm going to have to do a little bit more research on this. Mm-hmm. As far as our next episode goes... I want to get back into wine. I was yeah. kind of thinking we have not discussed this at all. So no, and I was actually on the same page already <laughs> yeah. uh, as far as that, because I was just like, we haven't talked about wine in a little bit. Well, I mean, we just got done with sparkling and champagne, but um, I it's felt like forever, though. It, it has. I mean, it's already been two weeks. Maybe it's also just because of how much we've covered. Yeah. I, I was thinking about this last night. I was kind of thinking to maybe play catch up, maybe do kind of a... um tips and tricks that we might have missed so far so things like what influences a wine's price point maybe some notable producers that we like uh things like that that don't really deserve like a whole episode but mm-hmm. we maybe would like to just give you some more guides on getting quality wine that you know you're gonna like i think that would be a great idea yeah. i also would be up for another field trip because we haven't visited a, a winery and well i have and i well <laughs> I, yeah i went out to wine country for my birthday for your birthday which yeah happy birthday <laughs> again but no uh i i haven't been to a winery in a little bit and i'm now fully vaccinated Yay as me. am i yeah so so in the world seems to not necessarily be coming back to normal i don't think we necessarily should we're starting to get there though we we we're, should we're beginning we should, the process and we should learn from what we've what yeah. we've experienced now but uh yeah no i'm totally ready to get back into some wineries yeah let's do it awesome well thank you guys so much for joining us today uh like i said boku michael des boku cheers guys cheers <laughs>